Sunday school and have any heart at all without bringing it bringing you to the point of being one that is weeping about this. And Jeremiah is a prophet that is incredible in his life and ministry. In his ministry, we don't read that there ever was one convert. In fact, when he started his ministry, God said, I want you to go and speak the truth. And he said, they will not hear you. They will not listen. How would you like that for your your ministry? You know what I'm saying? Here, go do this, but you're not going to see any results. And yet, Jeremiah faithfully did it in incredible measures against un, unknown that to us um, opposition and obstacles. And we find in the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations that we'll be looking at next week, it shows us God's heart. How God looks at a culture which he knew had deliberately turned away from him. One of the great values of the book of Jeremiah is that it reveals how God behaves when his people fail him and depart from him. Jeremiah came and prophesied to Judah. And um, the final prophecies to Judah before their captivity into Babylon, he gave warnings of oncoming judgment and destruction. He called for them to repent and turn back to God, and yet Jeremiah realized that they wouldn't do it. Um Jeremiah's purpose was to be a voice of God calling for repentance, and he did that. Jeremiah's life, from a human perspective, was a sad one. He probably encountered more opposition from more enemies than any other prophet ever had. Much of it stemmed from the message that he brought to his own people. Admit to Babylon, Babylon, that they would be conquered by Babylon, that they were to submit to Babylon. Babylon, the word itself, is used in this book 162 times. But um, Jeremiah was hated. He was jeered. He was ostracized. He was harassed. He was thrown into dungeons and pits, um, came within inches of, of his life being taken from him. He died in exile. And, and yet, if you were to describe Jeremiah, he could be described as a man of simplicity, sensitivity, Strength and spirituality. My, wouldn't that be something for you to be described as? A man of simplicity, sensitivity, strength, and spirituality. 
And I trust as you read the book of Jeremiah, and you'll have to read more this week, but that you will will glean from it the message of God and the heart of God. And this morning we want to look at some lessons that we learned from Jeremiah. But I want us to read um, beginning in Jeremiah 2, verse 4. Read down through verse 13. You follow along in your Bible as I read. Jeremiah 2, beginning in verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters? Neither did they say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through the land of the deserts and pits, through the land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt? I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Therefore, I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord. And against your children's children, I will bring charges. For pass beyond the coasts of Cyprus and sea. Send to Kadar and consider diligently, and see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living water, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to have your word recorded that we can read and study and meditate upon it. And Lord, As we come to your word this morning, we appeal to your spirit to open the eyes of our understanding, not just for an academic understanding, but Lord, that we may truly know your heart, that we may know the application of these truths in our life, and that in this wicked and perverse society that you've called us to live in, that we would shine brightly as lights, that we would be the salt that you desire us to be. So, Lord, use this time to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the passage that we read, God is speaking to Judah, and he says, What have I done? I I led you out of Egypt, I provided for you, I brought you into a land of of great plenty, and then then you completely forsook me. You, he said, changed the glory 
into that which has no glory. And he summed up the passage that we read. He said, you've committed two evils. You've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And you've gone out and tried to make your own depositories to gather water. They're broken cisterns. They can't hold water. They don't give life. And he says, because of this, these things are coming upon you. We do well to study the book of Jeremiah. Its principles affect every nation on earth. Its principles affect every individual. And it really bears out every nation and every individual who rejects God's word and God's authority and wantonly pursues wickedness, there are certain things that happen. And Jeremiah's message to those people is, woe be to that nation or to that person. I want to list today six lessons we learned from Jeremiah, and and we're not going to go into great detail, but as you read through Jeremiah, I want you to have these six things and that you would be able to see the application of these. Number one, sin brings destruction. You will read through the book of Jeremiah and Sin brings destruction. All ruin, all loss, and national decay, speaking even as nations, are due to forgetting God, to turning from God, to rebelling against God. We don't need to go throughout it, but from the very beginning, the Garden of Eden, the first sin... It brought destruction. Sin always brings destruction. There is pleasure in sin for a season, but it always ends in death. National rebellion against God brings national ruin. And this is what Jeremiah is, is teaching. But much of Jeremiah... deals with the second point, sin wounds the heart of God. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because Jeremiah is reflecting the heart of God. God takes no delight in condemning the wicked. He takes no delight in evil. God weeps over the doom of a city, the doom of a nation, the doom of a person. He does not delight in bringing devastation, and neither should his servants. And in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah uses many object lessons to try to convey the truth. And to convey the truth of the wounded heart of God in his own people rejecting him. Jeremiah likened Israel to 
an unfaithful mate. That God's heart is broken. There are, there are many of you here that have experienced in your life your mate being unfaithful to you and going away and you alone know the brokenness of that. To try to convey that, God said to the children of Israel, I rejoiced over you as a young man rejoices over his bride. I took great delight and joy in you, and and we were one. And you have been unfaithful. And, And God is using Jeremiah to try to show the heart of God. God is not a a granite-hearted being that is not moved and has no emotions. God is wounded by our sin. And be careful as you go through the book of Jeremiah that you don't look at it from a distance. Man, look at Israel. They were unfaithful to God. And look at Israel. How could they do that? And Judah... No, this is a picture of our heart. Our heart, my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9. God likened Israel unto a camel in heat, just running after other gods, just going wherever it desired to go and and following its instincts and running from the one that loved him. Jeremiah used the illustration that Israel, Judah, was as a prostitute. Was as another illustration, as a wild stallion. I mean, there are all kinds of object lessons through Jeremiah. I encourage you to, to be alert as you read those, but let it reflect the heart of God. God's heart is broken when we sin. As an individual, as a nation, our sin, as David said, is directly against God. And it's easy for us to distance ourselves that, that well, I may have done wrong and, and I could have done better And we don't often realize, well, yes, I sinned against you, but no, my sin is against God. Sin wounds the heart of God. Thirdly, God's judgment falls when people reject Him and His ways. Jeremiah is coming to warn of coming judgment. And he said in verse 13, we've already mentioned it, that they committed two evils. They'd forsaken God and hewn out their own sources of joy and satisfaction that could not satisfy. 
Turn to Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 15. In this passage, God is addressing through Jeremiah, Judah, and he says, Why do you cry about your affliction? Why are you crying about this judgment that is coming upon you? Three different times the Babylonians came and they took away some of the elite people the first time. Daniel was involved in that. Then they came and took away more of the commoners. Then the third time they came in 586 B.C. and completely destroyed Jerusalem, burned it down. And and this was all a result of the judgment that God raised up. But in Jeremiah 30, 15, he's saying, Why are you crying about your affliction? Your sorrow is incurable. Because of the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased, I have done these things to you. Notice, this is God speaking. He said, this is a result of sowing and reaping, a principle in Galatians 6 that he reiterated. You sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. You sow to the Spirit you will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So, it isn't so much God's judgment comes, it's just that God gives us the fruit of our own ways. I don't remember who said it, but someone said the worst judgment God can give us is to allow us to have our own way. There you go. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Fourthly, we are to be ministers of truth regardless. You will read through the book of Jeremiah and you will say, wow, this is, this is almost like the days we're living in. And like Jeremiah, we need to be ministers of truth, speaking the truth, living the truth, encouraging the truth, regardless of what happens. And and church history is filled with people from... From the time of Christ, and even before, but from the time of Christ, who have spoken the truth, lived the truth, encouraged the truth, and have suffered and died for it. Because they were committed to the truth. And when I say the truth, I mean Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I also mean truth in comparison to lies. As painful as it was for Jeremiah to deliver a consistent message of judgment to his own people, Jeremiah was obedient to what God told him to do. Even though Jeremiah hoped and prayed for the mercy of God for Judah, he also trusted that God is righteous and just, And regardless of the suffering that it entailed, regardless of the persecution, 
Jeremiah was faithful to the calling that God gave him to do. I, I love what, and, and you'll be hearing more of this, I love how Joy ended her session this morning. Do what you love to fight what you hate. Jeremiah did what he loved, God. God had called him to this, to fight what he hated. Did it produce the results? He didn't do it for results. He did it because he loved God. And God has designed every individual in a perfectly personal way, and he has equipped you and designed you, as Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 1, God said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I designed you. I knew you. And God stands to us today, and he says, now, this is what I've designed you. This is what, this is the loves I've put into your life. Now, do what you love to fight what you hate, evil and sin. We are to be ministers of truth. We sometimes stand around and say, my, things are so bad. 27 million in, in sexual human trafficking today. Well, what can I do about evil? Have a commitment to be a minister of truth regardless. Here am I, Lord, use me in whatever way that you desire. As you read through the book of Jeremiah, you'll learn also that repentance alone reverses judgment. One of Jeremiah's favorite words that he uses is the word, the Hebrew word, with the meaning return. Return to God. Return to your old ways. He he was continually pointing them to return. That's repentance. To turn from the way that you are going. As much, and this is very important, don't miss this. As much as Jeremiah portrays the judgment of God, he also portrays the mercy of God and the covenant-keeping character of God. Yes, it is heavy with judgment, but it is also heavy with the mercy of God that Jeremiah says, if you will return to the Lord, He will have mercy. And he continually holds out the covenant-keeping character of our God, that if this is what God has promised, this is what God will do. See, repentance is the only thing that will, will reverse the judgment of God on our nation. It's not going to happen politically. And you know that we ought to be actively involved, but that isn't the answer. It's, it's only repentance. And personally, when, when God's hand is heavy upon me, the air of my way, the only thing that will correct it is repentance and going back to God. One last thing that I want to mention. God alone brings hope and promise. In Jeremiah chapter 31, 
as much as this is a weeping prophet, as much as this is about judgment, it is also about the mercy of God. Jeremiah chapter 31, and I'll begin reading in verse 31. Notice, notice the hope that is given here. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin will I remember no more. Look at the promise that is held out there. This is God's doing. All this iniquity, and God says, but remember, I'm a covenant-keeping God. I have made these promises to Israel, and I'm going to put my law in their mind and write it upon their heart. And he says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin will I remember no more. That is the heart of our God. As much as his heart has been broken in unfaithfulness, as much as his heart has been wounded, God offers mercy and grace to us. We need the voices And the lives like Jeremiah's today calling us to recognize that all ruin and all loss and all national decay are due to forgetting God. The God who lifts up the broken. The God who extends mercy to all and urges all to come to him. Though Jeremiah lived thousands of years ago, his voice continues to challenge us today. We honestly appear to be ministering in a very similar context to Jeremiah's. And in understanding that, we are reminded that these are principles of God and His actions. This last week I read William Federer's, one of his daily um, bullet points of American history. And, and as I read it, I thought, wow, the references here are to Babylon and, Jer- and Jeremiah. But let me just share with you, this is the president of Harvard in 1775. Okay, get that in your time frame. The president of Harvard in 1775. He says, we must keep our eyes fixed on the supreme government of the eternal king 
as directing all events, setting up and putting down kings of the earth at his pleasure, that for the sins of a people God may suffer the best government to be corrupted or entirely dissolved, and that nothing but a general reformation can give ground to hope that public happiness will be restored. He went on and said, The kingdom of Israel was brought to destruction because its iniquities were full, because there remained no hope for reformation or revival. Their government degenerated in proportion as their vices increased till few faithful men were left in any public offices. At length, when they were delivered up for 70 years into the hands of the king of Babylon, scarcely any remains of their original excellent civil polity appeared among them. When a government is in its prime... Virtue prevails. Everything is managed with justice and prudence and frugality. But vice will increase with riches and glory of an empire, and this gradually leads to corrupt the Constitution and in time bring disillusion. This may be considered not only as a natural effect of vice, but a righteous judgment of heaven, especially upon a nation which has been favored with the blessing of religion and liberty and is guilty of undervaluing them and eagerly going in the gratification of every lust. This is 1775. We just heard in Sunday school the gratification of every lust, a nation going in that way. He's talking about Israel, but he goes on and says, They were a sinful nation who had forsaken God and provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger. Their princes were rebellious against God, seizing the property of subjects and robbing the public treasury. They loved everyone gifts, meaning the rulers. They were influenced in everything by bribery. They even justified and encouraged the murder of innocents. The public greatly suffered. The people groaned and wished for better rulers. But in vain they hoped for change when the spirit of revival was gone and the infection of sin had become so universal. The whole body being so corrupted There could be no rational prospect of any great reformation, but rather its ruin. He's talking about Israel, but he said, the day comes in this land that the same thing will happen. Why? Because God always judges sin. And he exhorted, let us repent and implore divine mercy. Let us amend our ways and our doing and reform that which has been provoking the Most High and thus endeavor to obtain the gracious mercy of God. Can we say we are innocent of crimes against God? No. Surely it becomes to us to humble ourselves under his mighty hand. If God be for us, 
who can be against us. The enemy has approached us for calling on his name and professing our trust in him. They have made a mock of our solemn fast and appear every appearance of serious Christianity. May our land be purged from all its sins. Then the Lord will be our refuge and our strength and a very present help in trouble. And we will have no reason to be afraid, though thousands of enemies set themselves against us round about. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts an individual for God's glory. Sin brings ruin and devastation to any individual. And the book of Jeremiah, as you read through it, I want you to look for the illustrations of these six things. But I want us to understand, we live in a day where it is desperately needed for men and women like Jeremiah to speak the truth, to live the truth, and encourage the truth. Tonight, we're, we're going to deal with, in, in a little more practical sense, how am I to live in this world? I mean, I, I read some of this, these things. Talk about rebellion against God. We live in a society now that, that rebels against God's design of male and female. I mean, whoever dreamed you would live in a day that, that no, I'm, I'm, I'm not a male anymore. I, I, I view myself as a female. I mean, we have, we, have, we have every fist possible as a nation in the face of God. And to think that things will just go on? God raised up Babylon to bring judgment to Judah. God is raising up and has raised up and is sending it to our nation to bring judgment. And it's time for we as Christians to say, Wait a minute, God, what is it in my life? I want you to purify me. I want you to use me. I want to be an instrument in your hand. And, and the blessing of it is, regardless of our past, it doesn't matter what your past is. You come to Jesus Christ and he forgives your sins and he will remember them no more. What a joy and delight. And if you have never come to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, I urge you today, as much as God's heart is wounded, He is pleading with you to come because He alone can grant healing, forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would use the words of Jeremiah this week in our hearts to help us to know your heart, to help us to see the world that we live in and to be broken about it. And not just broken, but then, Lord, to be instruments in your hand. Lord, may we not leave here today the same as we came. And I pray that your spirit would clearly give us the steps of action. And Lord, that, that we would know 
your power at work in our lives as we've never known before. Lord, I pray for an individual here that perhaps does not know you. Lord, I pray that even before they leave, they would mention it to someone or that they would simply cry out to you for mercy to save their souls. And then, Lord, that they'd mention it and someone could help them to grow and develop and know you. So, Lord, thank you for the message of Jeremiah. Thank you for revealing your heart in another measure. Thank you for the hope and promise that there is because you are a covenant-keeping God. But, Lord, until that day that we see you, I pray that we would faithfully love you, that we faithfully would embrace the truth, And, Lord, that you would be exalted. We pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Let's stand together.